You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Visit exodusoutdoorgear.com. And enter the discount code nine fingers when you check out and you can save $20 on your trail camera purchase. That's nine fingers, the number nine, followed by the word fingers, and save $20 on your trail camera purchase. Now, today we're going to be talking with a suburban bow hunter. His name is Justin Sinan, and Justin is from the state of Maryland. Now, when a lot of people think of Maryland, they don't think of big whitetails. However, certain parts of Maryland are really good and uh, Justin kind of talks about that today he talks about how he accesses property he talks about his overall strategy and his use of trail cameras to locate and uh, get himself within shooting range of a big suburban buck and uh, it's a pretty interesting story it's something that I'm completely green to I've never hunted in a suburban setting at all and uh, it's something that I think I would find quite interesting if I ever gave it a try. But uh, I'll leave that to the, the East Coasters. I'll, I'll take my farms. They can take their backyards. But uh, I, nonetheless, it was a great conversation. And uh, I'm looking forward uh, to you guys to hear it. I can't talk right now. Anyway, today's commercial. If you haven't, <laughs> if you haven't heard me talk about Ripcord Arrow Rests, then you need to go check out ripcordarrowrest.com. Take a look at all of the rests that they offer. Now, as a bow hunter, I want a product that is dependable and 
especially an arrow release, right? Excuse me, an arrow rest. If it gets wet, if it gets cold, if it gets hot, if it gets bumped, it needs to work no matter what. And uh, Ripcord has worked for me for God knows how many years I've used it. It's been like 10, 10 years or more that I've used a Ripcord. And uh, I very strongly suggest you at least go take a look at the rest they offer. It's an Amer- American-made company. It's a veteran-owned company. And uh, they just make some badass gear, and I think you guys need to go check it out. So go check out ripcordarrowrest.com. Now, let's get into today's podcast with Justin Sinan. All right, everybody. I am here with Justin Sinan. How you doing, man? Doing excellent. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Like I mentioned uh, before we started recording, I just had an ice cream sandwich to hold me over until supper tonight, so I'm good to go. (laughs) Can't beat that. No, you can't. Can't beat that. Sounds good right about now. I know. I know. So, today, we are going to talk a little bit about where you hunt, how you hunt, and um, some of the success that you've had uh, over the years. And you hunt in a pretty unique uh, situation. You're a, a, what, what many would call a suburban bow hunter. And uh, we'll talk about that. But before we, we get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast, why don't you tell me where you're from and what do you do for a living? I am from an area that's just above or just below Pennsylvania, uh, right on the border almost, uh, in Maryland, right near Westminster. And uh, I am a HVAC service technician. Gotcha. So does that keep you so, busy throughout the whole year? Uh, it, you know, it's actually excellent for a hunter because, you know, your downtimes are in the spring and fall. So it's usually kind of nice. We do, it's, you know, not so urgent. You know, you can cut out of work a little bit early here and there. And you can still flip some time in to, uh, to go hunting. So gotcha. when you're an obsessed bow hunter, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta do, you gotta, you gotta pick it. a right career. You know what I mean? That's right. I, uh, I always kind of refer back to a guy I know who works in road construction and he works a lot of hours throughout the summer and the early fall and starts back up into the spring after the ground thaws out and then uh, somewhere uh, mid to late October every year, his he gets laid off, and then he collects um, workers uh, some kind of workers comp or layoff pay or unemployment uh, from November, December, January, and February. And then when March hits, uh, he starts they start going back to work and do cleanup and stuff. So he gets the entire hunting seasons off and he so he he chases deer in multiple states he shotgun and bow and rifle and so he's got it made yeah you can't beat that right that's right that's right. i have a few friends that do landscaping and they try and capitalize on the same kind of deal where you know they get off work uh, in the in the fall and they're not being paid and they're out there killing making me jealous you know <laughs> right but right. but i get my time into you know it's luckily uh i try to be able to get off work and slip out there when I can. Right. Right. So 
let's talk a little bit about this suburban bow hunting because I've had multiple people on the podcast before uh, who are who I would put into that category, right? They're hunting very small parcels in very heavily right. populated areas. Does that kind of categorize you? Uh, sometimes, yes, I would say the small parcel stuff. Um, for me, I try to, uh, you know, capitalize on places where people haven't already asked and believe it or not, that's a tough task nowadays. There's a, there's a whole lot more people I think knocking on doors, uh, now than when I started maybe like six or seven years ago. Yeah. Um, but it's just something that started small. You know, I never really, I didn't start out hunting as a suburban hunter. Um, I started out with my dad. We, uh, we hunted a night farm that was on the Eastern shore and it was, you know, about like 120 acres and it was just paradise. I mean, it was a perfect place to kill mature deer. But back then, you know, when you're a beginning hunter, you just want to shoot whatever comes out. So it was an excellent place for me to start hunting and I loved it. And unfortunately, like two or three years into me hunting, when I started, I was about 12. So right when I started getting to the point where like I wanted to chase big bucks, um, we lost that property. Uh, the homeowner passed away and it was, uh, it was like a family friend of ours and they were more into duck hunting than deer hunting. And, you know, so basically the farm got split up, the son's you know, said, uh, oh, well, we'd rather be millionaires than be hunters and, you know, whatever. So they split the farm up and we lost it. And it kind of, you know, it was, it was pretty upsetting because my dad didn't really, he just kind of like gave it up in a sense. Um, and for me, I always, I just loved it. Something happened when I shot like my first eight point buck. I just looked at him. I was like, oh man, does it get any better than this? You know what I mean? Right, it, it's right. just one of those feelings. And, um, and it was kind of tough. I was like, you know, dad, like, why don't we go out here? So I got my driver's license, you know, when I was 16 and I'm like, well, hell now, I mean, I can go out and go hunting whenever I want. So I started hunting public land and, um, I had some luck, you know, I, I just got into bow hunting then when I got my driver's license. And, uh, <clears throat> I guess I would say, I got the bug kind of, you know, with bow hunting and, um, I shot a couple does, I shot a couple of smaller bucks, but I really wanted to shoot something mature and, um, I, it just started clicking and, uh, I started getting on to some of these bigger deer and I, uh, I was over well, let's at, slow down a uh, second. ex-girlfriend of mine. Let's slow down a second. Okay. okay? Cause I got, I got some questions about I got back in the day. So when this property sold, right? This, this 120 right. acres you were talking about, this is what I find interesting is I've, I've had some people that I know who hunted a awesome farm. Then they, they, it, they either fell into it or their dad or uncle or brother used to hunt it, which they got grandfathered into. And then they, they hunted it and then they lost it. And now they don't hardly hunt at all because they don't want to go look for new land. They can't necessarily afford a lease. They don't feel comfortable knocking on doors. So they just right, so right. they just quit hunting. And I I can't even comprehend that, right? So if I got Me kicked, neither. If I Me got, neither, man. Yeah, if I got kicked off my main farm, the first thing that I would do is go on a knocking spree throughout, you know, the area. Now what why 
is that kind of what happened with your dad or did he just like net was never really into hunting in the first place? Um, I would say he was more of the gun hunter. Um, you know, he had that older, older, uh, mentality. Like he liked to gun hunt a lot. And for us, I mean, where we lived, we could gun hunt, but they're just ever where we actually live at, you know, it was a small farm and everyone shot everything. So there was really no mature deer. And I guess for him, it just wasn't much of a turn on, you know, like, I mean, he shot plenty of deer and he was enjoying chasing like 140 to 160 class deer and it just kind of disappeared. So for me, I, I looked at it like, well, I'm going to try and do it. You know, I want to, I want to get out there and public land near where I lived at was very overhunted. You know, it's, it was one of those things I probably could have killed a mature deer now, knowing what I know now. But back then it was a, it was a real task. You really had to put a lot of miles back in the woods. And, um, I just wasn't there at that time, you know, with my knowledge and skills and stuff. And I missed a couple of real nice bucks with the bow. And that's what really like clicked it for me. I was like, I need to focus on shooting my bow and getting good at shooting. Right. And the next couple of years that followed, um, it was one of the, it, it just kind of happened by accident. I was at a, at a ex-girlfriend of mine at the time and I used to ride dirt bikes a lot. Well, she lived semi near a, you know, suburban area. Um, but there was a lot, a bigger section of woods. Okay. There was a big plot of, you know, of land that you could not hunt at all. So I took my dirt bike back there and, um, I've ran across like four different, you know, Pope and young bucks. It was during the rut, like during, you know, November, but it was a real nice day. And I was like, Holy shit. Look at, you know, look at all these deer in here. So I said, okay, well here's three houses that border this stuff. So I said, okay, well, why don't I just go knock? Well, two of the people were like, no way. And then the one older lady said, Oh, that would be excellent. Shoot them all. You know, so I said, awesome. I went back there and, uh, man, I came across like probably a 160 to 170, big, big 10. And it, it shook me up. And, um, he came in and I waited about, it took about 45 minutes to get to me and I didn't have the shakes or anything then. And by the time I drew back, it was almost dark. I still had legal shooting light, but, um, I couldn't see through my peep and I missed him. I shot just under him at like 25 yards and it was heartbreaking. Uh, I absolutely, but it just, it really uh, put in motion like, okay, there's a giant deer right here within a half hour of where you live. And you know, okay, now what are you going to do about it? So I went back, I started shooting my bow like religiously. I got really good at shooting. And I went ahead and just went ham on knocking on doors. I went and picked up like four or five properties that year. And, um, I ended up taking two, I took my first nice Pope and young buck. Um, I guess he, he was like 125. He was a real nice nine, but oh man, you know, your first nice buck with a bow, you can relate. It's just like, there's nothing like it. So, you know, I'm on a roll. Hold up. Hold up. Okay. You're getting, I know you're excited, man, but we got a, I got some questions I want to ask about this whole timeline because when you were right, when you were riding your dirt bike back in there, right, you saw all these deer. Right. 
right? The first right. idea was, okay, I need to start knocking on some doors around this area to see if I can hunt on their property. Now, when right. when you knocked on the two people's door, the two individuals' door, and they said no, did they give you a reason why? Or was it just, no, I don't believe uh, in hunting? Back, I've had, I've knocked on so many doors, Dan, I couldn't tell you what they said. Um, honestly, I, I want to say they were just like, get off my property. Like they weren't happy that I was there and they liked the deer. Gotcha. Um, and the lady that did give me permission, I, I'll never forget her. Um, but she, she was just like, welcomed me, you know, it was yeah. like awesome. I'm like, why haven't I done this before? You know? And yeah. I guess it's just all the, you know, your personality, if, if you can approach people like that. Cause I mean, I, I'm not in sales, um, but I'm a nice guy and you know, I, I wasn't out there to be a pain in their ass. And I, I straight up said that I was like, Hey, I'm sorry to bother you. Yeah. But you know, I know that there's a lot of deer around here and I'm willing to take care of a couple deer for you and I'll help you out. You know, if yeah. you'd like that. And she was just welcomed me with open arms. It was excellent. And, um, I don't have that property anymore now, uh, but you know, that was just, it was a special place and, um, it just led to, you know, knocking in other places. And then I started looking at aerials, you know, and that's where you probably heard plenty of people say, you know, look on Google maps or now you have on X, but back then, you know, I just had Google maps. So, and a lot of people were like unheard of. They looked at me like, you look on Google maps. And I'm like, yeah, man, this is, you can look at it, you know, yeah. it's obvious. Yep. There's this giant plot of woods, you know, right here that you can hunt. So how do you kill big deer? Well, you know, you, you go after age class of bucks. Well, if you're trying to kill a, a big buck on public land, how many deer reach maturity? You know what I mean? And how many of those mature deer are like nocturnal for the most part? Yeah. So, so your, I thought process, at like, your thought I, process was more along the lines of, uh, okay, I've hunted public land. Uh, I don't like what's there. Uh, I want something bigger. I want something from, from an age class and an antlers, uh, antler yes. standpoint. Um, so then as you start knocking on doors and you got permission to, you know, hunt that that lady, that one lady's farm, you had that encounter with the, this big buck. And then you said you started going crazy. How many other properties did you pick up on that first year, uh, knocking on doors, trying to get permission? What, how were you received? I mean, did people, did people talk with one another? Like, uh, like neighbors talk and say, uh, yeah, this guy, he knocked at my door, man. He's, he's wanting to kill some deer or anything like that. Did you get a reputation at all? Um, yeah. And maybe not a reputation, but I did have a couple people that, that have said, you know, and to this day, you still hear the same thing. Oh, well, I, I would like you to hunt, but I don't know how my neighbors would feel about it. So I'm just going to say no. And, um, you get a little bit of everything, you know, it's just like people in this world. It's like, you know, some people are just when they get home, they're just you know, mad at the world. And then other people will welcome you and say, Hey, look, you know, I, that's awesome. You know, obviously there's a deer problem. Go ahead and take a couple deer, you know, yeah. you're not going to bother me. Um, but I would say I started instead the first year I went ham and just started knocking on all these doors in like small areas that I thought mature deer were hanging out. 
And then as time progressed, I started looking at it like, okay, I need to get in different areas so I can not overpressure these small parcels. So basically I would try and in the first year, it's kind of, you know, you don't really know as much about the land, but you know, after having some of these properties consistently over years and having cameras, you know, you really learn like when the deer are using the property. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it all varies. And like, I've got some places that are hot as hell and, you know, early season and then they're done. Right. And I've got other places that are just, you know, hopping during the rut and then they're done. And then others that are just late season. So, you know, you got to feel out your properties. Um, that's the one thing with, you know, small parcels of land, it, it's even harder to have deer there consistent. And you had mentioned, uh, the first lady, if it was a farm, it, it wasn't a farm. It was just basically, she had, uh, the way the lay of the land was, it was just a nice small funnel that ran through her yard that these deer were going back and forth from big land to, you know, this almost like connects into the city, almost not really the city, but you know what I'm saying? Like another place where no one can hunt. So I was, I was catching deer, um, that, you know, were crossing between state land and rural or, you know, you know how I'm saying it kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. They had a reason to cross through there. So, right. Right. Okay. So it sounds to me like the people that allowed you to hunt on their property didn't like the deer did they give you a reason why they gave you permission to hunt were they damaging landscaping were they like tearing up their yard did they give you reasons or did they just say yes yeah a lot of them uh would damage their yards um the other reason was they were so you know prevalent where there's so many deer in their yard and they're like you know we need to do something about this Right. Were they, so, you know, I was kind of the solution to their problem. I guess, you know, it just lucked out that I knocked on some of these people's doors that weren't really sure what to do about them. Gotcha. Is, is there any type of complaint system in the area? Let's say like uh, deer start destroying landscaping, eating flowers and uh, I don't know destroying yards and crapping all over the place or getting hit by cars. Do they, have like any type of system in place where they will call the DNR or anything like that, that you know of? Not that I know of. Um, there's, you know, there's a couple DNR agents that have mentioned to me over the years that, you know, people have called and complained about the deer, but for some reason they're, you know, they're not doing anything to help it out. I mean, they put deer signs up, but you know, (laughs) that's not really going to help out. Right. Okay. So then the next question is, as you start, you know, as you start gaining access to more of these properties around, around these neighborhoods in this area, did you ever run into any other hunters who were trying to, or doing the same thing that you were doing? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny you mentioned that because, uh, I guess my second, my first year I never encountered a hunter. Um, I guess I would say the third year. I noticed a truck that was at my hunting spot and I was like, son of a bitch, this guy's in my, in my shit. Right. So I walk in the woods, I'm not in camo and this asshole was sitting in my tree stand and, uh, I'm like, Hey buddy, uh, you know, what are you doing? 
he's like, what are you doing? Uh, I looked at him like, get the hell out of my tree stand, you know? And, uh, he's trying, he's sitting there in a tree stand, not trying to come down. And he's like, do you have permission to hunt here? And I looked at him and I like, just laughed. I'm like, do you have permission to hunt here? You know, we're just going back and forth. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, I, I do too. Just come down here. I'm not going to yell at you 25 feet in a tree, Yeah. you know? And, uh, he came down and, you know, I wasn't, I couldn't be upset at him. You know, the homeowner, that was just, you know, something I didn't think the homeowner would give another person permission. Right. Um, but that's the, that's really the only time I've had, you know, another instance, you know, a few years ago, um, where I harvested a deer and another hunter had already passed this deer and he gave me shit online, you know, saying, Oh, well you, you shot that deer on this land. And I'm like, it didn't have your name on it guy, you know, in some other choice words, but I just, you just, Go with the flow, man. I guess that's the one frustrating part with uh, suburban hunting. It's, yeah. You, you got to go into it knowing you're not the only guy out there. Um, but, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze, right. I, I would say. Because it sounds to me like what you're what, – in, in some way, shape, or form, what you're describing is a giant – no hunting, right? Obviously, there's no hunting in this big block of timber. How many acres is that block of timber that you can't hunt? Oh, probably like two or 3,000 acres. Oh, boy. Okay. And, and it's almost like Texas, which is – it's real low brush and thicket, and um, it's wild. It's a cool area. So it's perfect. It's perfect deer habitat. Yes. Yeah, and pines, and it, it's great, man. Right. And – uh you can do a little bit of any kind of hunting you want in there, really. Spot and stalk, you know, run and gun, hang and hunt. Um, in that there's area. not too many oaks, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there is public hunting in there, um, but it's limited. Like, you know, there, I would say maybe 30% of it is open to hunting, and then the rest of it is just for like nature trails and okay, I got you. bike paths. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So th is there a draw um, system that's involved with some of the hunts that go on in there? Well, Maryland, they've got like a, uh, a special thing you can get. It's called like a managed hunt permit or whatever. And you pay an extra $30 and then yes, you, you basically go to the DNR and you, you know, give them your license and everything. And some of the hunts that they have set up, like, uh, you can, only apply, you have to apply ahead of time or you have to get there and sign up and they only allow five hunters per area a day. And, um, you know, and then you're, you're dealing with other hunters and God knows how many other people have been in that spot, you know, it, it, you're limited. So, right. you know, you can get it done, but just, it's public hunting, you know, you, you take it, uh, take it as you can get it. I mean, if you really want to put it in, I'm sure you could do it. Right. But for me, I'm kind of, you know, I'm just, going with the flow it's it's easier for me to get off work and go hop in a, a set that i hung you know what i mean and be quiet yeah so on these smaller on these smaller parcels of i guess private land that you get that you gain access to um you kind of mentioned that on one of the pre pieces of property there's kind of a funnel that leads out of that into something else what are the food sources that these deer are leaving that that quote unquote sanctuary, they're leaving that coming out and going into these backyards, so to speak. What are they eating? Uh, 
It depends on the year. Uh, some of them, if you can find an oak flat, I mean, you're set. Uh, there's, you know, scattered apple trees. There's grasses. There's really not that much crops around um, in these areas. It's it's kind of different. Um, in some of the smaller parcels I have that are like three to five acres, I'll put corn out because um, it's legal, you know. So I'll put some corn out and then I'll monitor the area. And like as of like right now, I got 10 different spots. So, you know, here we are, in, you know, preseason. I'm scouting out where my biggest deer's at and I'll try and target that buck. Right. Um, and that's, that's one thing that's really fun is being able to, you know, target a specific deer and take them out. And right. I've had a couple deer that I've watched for years and years and that's, it's fun. You know, yeah. you can't beat that. Right. So let's talk about that process. Right. So driving around and knocking on doors, you get access to these properties. What drives what? Are you just knocking on doors and getting access, then seeing if the property is good? Or are you driving around, maybe doing some glassing at night, looking in these people's backyards from the road, um, do, you know, doing some glassing or, and then, you know, coming in and knocking on a door or how do you know whether or not you want to hunt that property? Well, any more, I've got a young little daughter, so I know you can relate to this. Uh, I don't have quite as much time as I want to go scout and do stuff like that, like visually scouting. Um, more or less, I let my cameras do the scouting for me. And in areas that I go and look, I'll survey them on Google Maps, and I'll know just from the areas that I'm looking in, I know that there's mature deer in there. So it's more or less let me go and knock here. This is a good little pinch point here. And then I'll go and maybe go like a mile down the road and go try and get another little access point, like at the end of a cul-de-sac or something like that. Okay. And I'll put cameras. Let's say I get three or four spots out of, let's say you're looking at a big patch of woods and it's a circle. I'll try and get to the fringes and then I'll put cameras in each of those places and see what, is in what areas and you know sometimes you'll get deer that travel and you'll be able to see where they're going and it can help you target them even better you know what i mean right right so that kind of answer what you were asking i mean yeah yeah i mean yes i have visually seen bucks and been like damn i need to get in there and I, i've done that a couple times but more times than not i'm looking on google maps and saying this is a good spot right here. I just know. And just going off of instinct and a lot of times it pans out. Gotcha. So then, um, you know, once you get access to those properties, you put trail cameras up, I take it, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's so, what I usually go for. So are you just hoping a deer walks in front of them? Because I think Maryland's a baiting state, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can. Um, in the summer I'll, I'll do minerals. Um, and then, you know, as fall goes in, I'll, I'll do more, you know, like some corn here and there and I'll just, just feel it out. You know, I might go dump like a hundred pounds of corn and just see if there's anything, you know, around gotcha. some areas, you know, it's, it's hit or miss, you know what I mean? You're not always going to get a mature deer on camera. Um, but so when it's you, during the rut, when, you know, you can kind of hit or miss when you dump that corn though, uh, does that draw the deer in 
uh, I mean, does that do a good job of drawing the deer in so you can see what is in the area? Um, yeah, uh, for the most part. And I mean, really in some of these places, you know, you'll have acorns and stuff like that and they'll come in, but to get them to come in more consistently, um, yeah, I'll put corn in there, especially if there's a, a real good buck, I'll try and put more corn in, you know, consistently and, and just, if I can pattern him, then I'll go in and kill. Um, if he's just hanging out every once in a while, I'll try and like look for fronts and, uh, you know, if, if I can put some corn in there and I'll go hunt a front and hopefully it'll show up. Right. Um, but you know, that's not the only kind of hunting that I, I try to do. Like, you know, it's, it, it is kind of an easier way to, to get your buck, but you know, in the rut, I'll go to decoys and stuff like that also, and just try and, get up high and if I see any deer nearby I'll grunt at them or you know rattle a little bit and I've had a lot of you know deer come in and react to the decoys nothing that I've wanted to kill but a ton of like nice two and three year old bucks so yeah it always makes it more fun you know what I mean yeah absolutely so we never really did talk about the terrain um you know when I think of a neighborhood I think of, uh, you know, just a bunch of flat land. Is there any terrain features in this area? Um, because you mentioned kind of a, oh, yeah. a funnel one time. I didn't know. Is it overall hilly? Is it uh, yeah. flat? Explain it's not it. like mountains. Right. Yeah, it's not like mountains, um, but there is a lot of, like, high and low funnels and valleys and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's kind of a cool place because once you have valleys and, and stuff like that, you can key in on different areas. And that's another thing I'll try and set cameras up on, you know, funnels or places like that where I've got like a heavy deer crossing. And uh, that way you don't have to put corn out in every place, you know what I mean? But yeah. when it's like a flat area, it, you kind of have to do something to get them in front of your camera. Yeah, absolutely. So as... I guess my question is, knowing that deer where I live don't come out on early season till about, you know, 15 minutes maybe before, uh, you know, before sundown, before dark, you know, they're, they're right at the last light making their way to a field edge. That's why I, I typically hunt inside the field edge in what I call a staging area. And then... I noticed that deer in suburban areas tend to come out a little bit earlier. Is that, is that a true statement or how do you see that play out where you hunt? Uh, sometimes, I don't know. These, uh, these little critters can be kind of difficult, man. I feel like every year I'm right on the verge of like taking this buck literally like to the day. And, um, when they lose their velvet, they're just like, they go back in their caves. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it, they just relocate. Um, it, it really can be frustrating. Like I've hunted on one parcel trying to get one deer. And then while I'm hunting right there, the like number two hit list or number three, like he'll show up on camera on my other side. I'm like, damn it. Like I, I haven't really been able to capitalize, uh, in early season. I, I, could have plenty of time, so nice three-year-old bucks, but I try to keep a standard at, like, you know, if at least four, I, you know. Right. It's one of those things. I've just been so close. Like, I'll have them on camera consistently, and then they just, they elude me, you know. Right. Last year, I had a giant nine um, come in the day before season, 
uh, I didn't even go in there. I, you know, I just noticed after I checked my camera and, um, I went in there and hunted. I had a perfect wind. We had a front and, um, bam, he was just like disappeared. Yeah. And then come to find out he's on my buddy's camera. That's like a mile away. I'm like, son of a bitch. You know, yeah. what, do, what do you do? Right. What do you do? How long, how far I should say, do you think some of these deer travel? Do they stick pretty close? Obviously the rut can change everything, but you know, what would you say their core area is? I would say if you, I know for a fact, if you can figure out one of these deer's home range, you've got a, a lot better chance of killing them. Um, for me, I, I put some cameras in some places like maybe that you're not allowed to hunt, but I know where these deer are chilling at. Um, the deer I killed last year was a deer I chased for three years. And I mean, I knew where he was at. I knew exactly what he was doing. And, um, I just waited for him until the rut to try and kill him. Cause I knew there's no way I'm going to be able to go in and get him where he is. So during the rut, I was like, he's going to hit these funnels looking for does. And I got in between two bedding areas and was able to capitalize on him. But yeah, it, it really helps if you can figure out where they're at. Um, you know, if you've got a lot of land, it's hard to, it might be harder to pinpoint, but this was one of those places where, you know, he didn't have quite as much area to go and get away, you know? So I was like, all right, well, if you're there, then you're going to go over here. You know what I mean? It's just simple. Like you don't really have too many places to go, buddy, you know? Yeah, absolutely. As long as I didn't push him out of there. I mean, sure. If I would have went in after him, I'm sure I would have pushed him away and he would have went somewhere. But as long as you're kind of smart and, you know, you, you try to play the wind and you don't really put too much pressure on it. It really, it can pay off for you. How important are, but, how important are access routes when you're hunting these very, really small properties? They're really important. Um, I try to mix up what I do. Uh, you know, I don't really want to, and more or less in the past couple of years, I've learned your best bet is to go and hunt one try one time and try and kill them. Um, from listening to, you know, to you and Mark and, uh, Dan Infall and, you know, just learning more about deer and beds and, you know, stuff like that. I really got into just trying to kill it, it just go and hunt, I guess it's the perfect time to try and, you know, capitalize. Right. And, um, if I'm not doing that, then I try and go have fun. Like I, I enjoy just shooting deer, to be honest with you. I have fun shooting does. And, uh, I try and separate what I'm doing that day. Like if I'm trying to kill a buck in early season, I'm not gonna, you know, go take a doe or anything, but it's, uh, it's just one of those, one of those things, you know, you, you really want to focus on the one day or, or the two hunts and then leave it alone. Like don't overpressure them because if you use the wrong entrance or access, you can bump them out of there and you, you might not see them. Right. So are some of these, uh, these big, more mature bucks that it sounds like you're going after in, in these suburban settings, do they only pop their head out in daylight just a couple times or is it different for every buck? Cause it sounds to me like some of these, it's, yeah, go ahead. No, it, it depends. Uh, I feel like they're like people kind of some, some of them, they've each got their own, uh, personality. I've got some that come out during daylight all the time. And then once season comes in, 
even though like I'm pretty sure this deer wasn't being hunted by anybody else, but it, it, they just know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, where other ones will come out during daylight just at the break of daylight or, you know, just after or just before dark. And I don't know about you, but for me, I don't hunt the mornings in early season. Like I just, yeah. I, most of my places are bedding areas. And like you said, with access, I could go in there in the morning and I'll blow every deer out of the woods. So why do that? You know what I mean? Yeah. With some of these properties and how small they are and, you know, sounds to me like deer are running through these neighborhoods, um, that there, they, there is a lot more human interaction with them than let's say the deer that I hunt out in the, you know, the farm fields of, of uh, Iowa. But do you get a second chance with some of these deer? Uh, Meaning, what I mean by that is, if they bust you, whether it's from scent or from sight or whatever, uh, because they're so used to humans, do they know they're being hunted? Do they know? Uh, do they, oh, yeah. Do they just oh, blow it yeah. off? Most, most definitely. Yeah, you bump one in the woods, um, depending on the situation. Like, it, I've had a couple of them look up and, you know, like skylight me in a tree, never seen them again. Um, I've shot at some of them and missed never seen them again. Yeah. Um, you, they are freaking smart. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. They're, I don't want to say that, you know, it's, it's like they're smarter than, you know, what you're dealing with in rural places, but they're extremely, uh, edgy. Like even when they come in, I mean, they're like looking around, looking up there since they know that people are around, they're even more on edge, I would say. Right. So, you, there's certain times you can get away with, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, your scent, but it depends. I've got some places where like these does will just, if they smell anything, they're gone. Um, and then I've got another place where there's people that walk through the woods all the time. And then I've watched bucks just freeze and watch people walk by, but you come in the woods and camo and a bow and you're like, they're like, fuck that. We know who you are. You know what I mean? And, right. and they're, they're, they're rolling out. They're like, I've seen one of you. You, you took aunt Susie, you took uncle Bob, you yeah. know? Gotcha. So, so, so they know. So let's talk about, um, yeah. let's talk about this big, I'm looking at your uh, Facebook picture and it's this big wide eight pointer uh, that you shot. Was that from last year? Yeah. 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 Last year was, definitely like my best season i've ever had okay so let's um let's walk through that tell me that story so that i got two wide eight points last year um the first one that i got the one that you're talking about we'll start with him um that was actually on a lease that i have it's my first lease i've ever bought i had a good friend of mine um hit me up this lease is like 10 minutes from my house he's like look man uh his dad, you know, couldn't make it out to that lease. They had other places like he's, he's in the lease and a lot of properties. And, um, I told him, I'm like, man, I'm getting kind of the, the sick of the suburban stuff a little bit. You know, I want to do something different. You know, I, I never gun hunt and, uh, it'd just be nice to have somewhere to go relax close to home and be able to go gun hunting still. And, uh, he told me about this deer and um, he's like, look, there's a really wide eight that's over here. And he's like, he said he had a couple encounters with him last year. So I uh, I was busy chasing other bucks, you know, in suburban with a bow, like all season. So I was like, well, I'll just save that for gun season. 
and, uh, you know, just go hit that up. And then that way I'll have a totally unpressured farm, it, you know, and it's, it's mostly ag. It's, it was a nice little valley, uh, with a cornfield in it. And, um, we waited, they cut the cornfield, uh, and I went in there and that morning I actually went out there and I, I missed him. I think it was him. Um, it was a really, really cold morning. And he was like the first deer out in the field. And I was like, holy shit, that, that's a giant deer. And uh, I waited and I fogged my scope up because I was waiting and I'm breathing heavy. And I mean, I got ice crystals on my rifle barrel. It was cold, cold. So I'm like, shit, I'm trying to clean my scope. And I missed regardless. Uh, so that was kind of a, a tough uh, one to get over. And I was like, I'm going to go back in because I didn't really spook the deer too much. I went back in there and he came out. It was that full moon uh that was in december it was a really big moon i was like you know there's a good chance he's gonna come back out and uh he came out like 280 yards or something like that i think uh and i smoked him and it was pretty cool so that one kind of fell on my lap that was like a little bit lucky you know for sure yeah Uh, but he was like 22 inches inside just a really nice eight and I uh, couldn't have been happier with him, man. I mean, the, the one of the widest bucks I've ever killed. Man, he's got decent brows and, too. Uh, that, uh, yeah, yeah, he was really cool. I'd kill. I'd probably shoot that buck every year. Yeah, no doubt. That's what we're out there to do, right? right. You know, we're, for me, I don't care. I want to shoot a mature deer. That's one thing I'll say about you, Dan. Like, I really respect that. You're like, I'm out here to kill a mature deer. I don't give a shit about the rack, which you do at the same time, but you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But his body, and, um, his body looks big too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He, he was, uh, I think he dressed right around like 200 or something. Nice. Um, for, for around here, that's a pretty big deer. Right. And, uh, you know, so what were you going to say? So now that's now that was your gun season buck, but it looks to me like you should. Right. So the, now we're talking about the other big eight that his main beams curve in. Right. 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 So, that, that was a buck. Go ahead. Yeah. Tell that story. Okay. So that was a buck that I nicknamed splits. Um, I was trying to kill him, you know, two years for the past three years. Uh, it started off, I got him in a, in a suburban spot and he was a real nice nine point. Um, I had pictures of him all summer and he disappeared and I was like, oh man, you know, I never found him. I went shed hunting, never found a shed. And, uh, I was like, ah, whatever. Put a camera back in the same place and, um, he showed up the next year and, uh, I was like, holy crap, look at this thing. I mean, he was this big old 10 with the split G2 and, uh, big brows. And, oh, I loved it. I ate it up. Every time I go get that camera, man, I was like, oh, I hope he's on here. And he was, you know, I, he was like Hollywood. He was all over the camera. Yeah. And um, I actually, I never got an opportunity at him uh, last year, but he was on my camera more uh, in one of my spots that I had permission in. So I said, I'm like, well, you know, there's a, I got a good chance of killing him. There's a, a place that I literally knocked on the door to kill this buck. And I didn't take anything out of there that first year that I had the property. So now we're at, you know, the season last year where I killed him and had tons of pictures of him. He actually shrunk to an eight point. So I'm not sure how old he was, but I'm guessing he was really old and, um, had a ton of pictures of him in early season. And, uh, we got to 
about uh, November, like late October, and I got a couple pictures of him. And I was like, oh, shit. And it was during daylight. And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. And um, I ended up, you know, I said to myself, here we are in beginning of November. I waited for the right time to go in there and hunt. I put a little bit of corn down. And, um, you know, I was like, you know, here we are in the rut. Hopefully he'll be chasing does or, you know, if he's hungry and he wants something, he'll come down in there and eat some corn. And, um, I, I hunted, it was November 4th. We had that full moon and it was perfect, man. Um, I waited, I was going to hunt all day long and it got to, there wasn't much deer movement in the morning, got to like 10 o'clock and I heard a stick break like back behind me and I looked and all I see is tines and I'm like, Oh boy. All right. So I, I grabbed my bow. Um, the way he was coming in, he was coming through some laurel in this funnel and I was like, right when he clears there, he'll be like right at like 20 yards. And man, he just like textbook just stopped at 20 yards on his own. And I drilled him and, uh, he went about 60 yards and fell over. And, uh, I about fell out of my tree stand. I was shaking like a leaf, man. It was, it was so cool. It was like shooting my first buck again. I don't know how else to put it. And, uh, I called my buddy. I'm like, man, I got him. I got, I said it was either him or this other, that other real nice nine that I had on camera. And, uh, right as I'm telling him, he shoots, he shoots a nice buck and I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. So he just shot a real nice one. And I went down and looked and I was like, man, it's him. Uh, it splits. And, uh, I, I gotta say, man, I've never had a, a better feeling, you know, maybe other than like my first year, but it was so cool. And, uh, hopefully it's, it's just not the same this year though. You know, after taking a buck like that, I don't know. Have you ever like been able to chase a buck? for like three or four years or anything like that oh yeah uh i've chased multiple deer and although i didn't harvest uh some of them you know they either got shot by other hunters or they kind of just disappeared but uh i've never i've never followed a buck for four years and then was successful on him i followed him but never was able right. to harvest him right so, so you're telling me that yeah that's i lucked different. out man i feel blessed i mean really yeah you're telling me that's different then what's that it's there's different, different it, yeah it's feeling it's almost it's almost i don't want to say like it's not i wasn't sad um but it was just one of those feelings like i remember just coming up to this deer and i've never done this before but i just sat on the ground in the woods and just like looked at him and i was just it was just cool as hell you know i uh i don't know how else to describe it it was it was just I'd watch that deer for so long and, you know, some of my friends are like, you're nuts, man. You know, like, what do you, you know, why are you upset? And I'm like, well, I'm not upset. It's just different. You know, he's, uh, he's not there to chase, you know, the woods feel different without him in there, you know, Absolutely. but, uh, it's awesome, man. I I hopefully I'll be able to do it again someday. Um, I do have one that I'm, I've been chasing for another three years now in another spot, but, uh, we'll see. He's been cat and mouse too. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have pictures of him already this uh, summer? Um, no, I don't. Not of the one that I'm thinking of. I've been kind of leaving that place alone. Usually I don't get any pictures of him uh, until like October. So I'm just kind of leaving that place alone until then. That's the one thing I've learned. The more you leave these places alone, the better it is, you know, and you just get in there, you do your thing and you get out. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, 
let me be the first to wish you good luck this upcoming season, man. I really appreciate you taking time to hop on the uh, podcast today and, and uh, chat with us. Yeah, no, it was it was an honor, man. It was uh, it was great talking to you. And there you have it, another podcast in the books. Huge shout-out to Justin for stopping by and chatting with us today. Huge shout-out to all the partners of this podcast. Exodus, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, Ozonics, and Hunter Safety Systems. If you would do me a favor, please go and support those companies because they support this podcast. Last but not least, please go support the Quality Deer Management Association. Enter the discount code 9FINGER when you check out. That's only finger, so the number 9 followed by the word FINGER. And you can save $10 on an annual, a one-year membership. So for $25, you can be a part of one of the greatest whitetail organizations in North America. And uh, take a look at what they do, do your own research. But for $25, man, to be a member of that organization, man, that's a win-win-win if you ask me. So if you haven't already, please go leave a review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Be sure to check out all the other podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram. Social media, social media, we do a lot there, man. Uh, just dropped a new vlog about one of the biggest whitetail mistakes I ever made, so please go uh, check that out. And, um, man, have a good weekend, man. Uh, hopefully, you, you guys get out, either hang trail cameras, check trail cameras, spend some time with the kids. I know I'm going to be going to my wife's 20-year high school reunion. I don't know what to think about it yet, but there is a chance I just do me, and I'll have my own fun <laughs> while she go, goes and does her thing, and uh, I can talk to anybody. So hopefully there's one guy there at this high school reunion that is a deer hunter, and I can single him out, and we can just talk about uh, deer hunting all night. So that's my goal (laughs) but enough of that have a good weekend and our friends from hunter safety systems remind us all if you're going to be in a tree wear your damn safety harness have a good weekend